2: offer ends on the go live date restrictions apply see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER
3: introducing the Lowe's list for innovation while our aisles are filled with innovative products we've selected our favorites just for you Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only.
4: All right, it's film study once again. We're going to look back at week two, the Ravens' 1723 victory over the Cardinals at home. Uh, great to be back in Baltimore. Ken McCusick, how are you doing?
5: Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm
4: doing well. Doing all good. It was uh, nice to see a nice home game. Nice to see the shield is back on the field and all that. So
5: Yeah, that cool. seemed to be a big deal to people. It, it was a fairly obvious new Coke slash Coke classic return from my point of view.
4: Yeah, it's a it's a logo they can throw more throw it back on stuff and sell it again. But we're joined tonight also by Cole Jackson from Russell Street Report, Neutral Zone Infraction, and he's constantly on Twitter responding to your questions about the Ravens and stuff. Cole, how's it going?
6: Good, buddy. Good. I I always say I I can't have a bad week after a Ravens W. So doing good. Thanks for having me on again, fellas. All right. All right uh, anytime.
4: Did you guys either of you attend the game on Sunday?
5: Of course. No.
4: Uh, all right. He's, a, he's up was,
5: in Ontario, so
6: he doesn't really have a chance to.
4: Yeah, uh, a, yeah, you're in the same boat as me. It's a little hard. you got to travel up there. Uh, I'm making
6: it down to Buffalo, though, this year.
4: Uh, all right. Not, not a bad <laughs> place to go. And that should hopefully be a Ravens victory as well. I, I hope so. But uh, how was the crowd as far as the first game? Was there, Ken, was there a lot of hype coming into this game after the victory in Miami?
5: I I think so. I mean, I think the crowd was very loud at the end when it mattered, which is good. Uh, I saw there's always somebody who tries to start posting pictures of some stands that are only three quarters full during a game. And the Ravens Stadium in particular, um, I think the colors, the purple color probably shows out more against some white shirts and other things that are there. So you you end up with with something that looks like there's some empty seats there. And I'm sure there are. But it's just it's not a it wasn't a problem for this game by any stretch. Gotcha. The, uh, down here, the Daytona
4: speedways down here and the seats at the speedway are like mixed in random colors. Mm -hmm. So when you drive by it, even though if there's no race going on, it always looks like it's a full packed crowd there, which is kind of neat. Um, any issues with the heat or anything? Obviously the Ravens were, dealt with Miami and the heat there it had to be at least be a little cooler back in Baltimore
5: yeah not the big humidity uh it was it was hot but it wasn't it wasn't bad it was nice it was really a nice day for football in the you know mid to mid 80s maybe low 80s during the game
4: gotcha all right well I handled the whole weather weather forecast what the fans are like now let let me just hand it over to you guys and really get into this game that (laughs) I think ended up closer and tighter than a lot of people expected
5: yeah, honestly it was it was way too close for how much the Ravens dominated this game. They won many of the significant ways, you know, twenty-six to fifteen in first downs. They went uh seven of fourteen on third down, I think 0 for one on fourth also, but still seven of fifteen in the and the three of twelve on the same note for the for the Cardinals. Uh they out snapped them seventy-two to fifty-four. That's an awfully big advantage to not, you know, have a little bit of more score advantage. They stopped the Cardinals inside the 10-yard line. They limited Murray rushing. They limited the entire Cardinals team rushing and now have only allowed 41 yards in two games. Uh, there are a lot of advantages. And then there were some zone breakdowns that really offset that advantage. We're going to get to that a little later in the show. Any Anything else
6: at a high level
5: you want to talk about, Cole?
6: No, I, I think the big thing to highlight in terms of the negative side is, is the chunk yardage. And, you know, when it's chunk yards in... The context of zone breakdowns, I think they stand out more to us as fans for for kind of how we take away from the game. So, you know, if it's one on ones where the guy's getting beat, at least you feel like a, a great play was made, right, by the offensive player. But when you're just like when you have Larry Fitzgerald, at 75 years old, running, you know, wide open, it, it's hard as a fan to not come away and feel super negative. So. Um, I, I know we're going to d- jump into that, but I, I think that's the real reason we have some negative responses from some of our fans.
5: Mm-hmm. Let's. I, I, it, mathematically, I'm going to make this point, and I, it will be no doubt not thought of well. But if you're going to give up six and a half yards of play, which is a lot to give up in a football game, you know, it's not what you want to do, but if you're going to give up six and a half points, uh, six and a half yards per game, it's better to do it the way the Ravens do it. With a lot of variation on defense because that allows you more likelihood to get off the field and get them to third down and get them off the field. And that is, in fact, what happened in this game. I mean, they held the Cardinals to 17 points despite the six and a half yards per play, the 349 total yards. And it was really due to the fact that the Cardinals had a lot of trouble when they no longer had space to uh get offensive separation get the separation they wanted fitzgerald in particular was was very well handled by Carr, and i think we'll we'll probably get into that a little later
6: yeah no and i think uh, i think the red zone efficiency uh it, it was it looked like it i hate to bring it up but it looked like a dmp's defense where mm-hmm. it was bend but don't break and uh i mean sometimes that approach wins games right like
5: yeah, I'm 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 generally not fond of it because it often means you're giving up some longer drives. But they didn't do that in this. Not in terms of play count. So so the way they did it, uh, you know, I I didn't really have any problem with the with the extra yardage allowed. Although I'd prefer to give up a few less of those long zone coverage breakdowns. But I want to talk about something first before we get into some of the results thing. I want to talk about what the Ravens knew going into the game, and that is that the Cardinals are going to play a lot of 10 personnel, one running back, no tight ends. The Cardinals are the most extreme team in recent years in that regard. And when I think of 10 personnel teams, I go back to the Oilers run and shoot of the nineties. I go back to, you know, other teams in an era gone by that wanted to win by running you out of the building and didn't really care as much that they couldn't close out the game. And if you'll remember the run and shoot, that's the offense that gave up the 32 point lead to the Bills in the playoff game, and to me, to my way of thinking, that was pretty much the end of the run and shoot offense that day. Uh, now, I'm sure there were practitioners for a, for a, a period of time afterwards, but uh, it just it was never an effective offense to control the pace of a game in any kind of a meaningful way.
6: Yeah, I find the uh, I find the ten personnel fascinating just because it's if it starts to emerge up in the NFL, it's kind of one of the first real prominent college offenses to make the jump to the NFL uh, in kind of the modern era. And I always find it super interesting to watch because uh, up here in Canada, we play an extra man on the field. So, mm-hmm. and, and you're allowed to motion slot backs uh, up to the line. So you see a lot more spread in the Canadian game. So, that's really what you're looking like, and so some of the zone coverage that you'll see from defenses trying to defend it is the same as what you see up in up in Canada. So I, I've always found it interesting from uh, from a coaching perspective to see an air raid offense, ten personnel, that type of approach. But th- that's the thing; you normally see it with college teams.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, to give you an idea of just how prevalent. They have two decent tight ends on this roster. They only carry two on the, on the Cardinals, but it's Max Williams, who was the Ravens' fourth tight end last year, and Clay, that's Charles Clay, I believe, who's played in Buffalo and Miami over the years, in the AFC for a number of years. They had 29 combined snaps against the Ravens. So that's .48 per play, .48 tight ends per play. And the previous week they had 0.4 tight ends per play. They basically always run one back. So 3.52 wide receivers per play in this game, and that is just an extraordinary number. I look at, I keep looking at it, and just saying that doesn't, that's that's not the way football is played. It's it's just a. Uh, you know, it's pinball. You're almost playing at that point to have that many wide receivers on the field.
6: But it's like anyway, the opposite of the Ravens approach with how many tight ends we very, have. <laughs> very much the opposite.
5: Very much the opposite. Because the Ravens have some flexibility with theirs. You couldn't say the same thing about the Cardinals. The Cardinals can't bring their players in line and make changes with them. But uh, but yeah, I agree. So the Ravens needed a special defense to respond to all this 10 personnel. and. They came up with it. They activated uh, Maurice Kennedy from the practice squad on Saturday. I, I certainly felt like he was a player who was likely to be claimed fairly early in the season because cornerbacks go down and Kennedy represents the top tier of just not quite making a team in the NFL. I thought he probably could have helped some team. I was a little surprised he even made it through to the practice squad. But anyway, he's, he Ravens got him back and, and they have him now and he played pretty well in this game, I think. Um, but they had what they did with him back on the roster is play four corner dime, and so that's a package we haven't seen often from the Ravens. Just a few times last year, but they uh, they put four corners on the field to cover four outside receivers on the very first play of the game, and for a number of plays otherwise, they brought Jefferson up into the box to effectively play the position, the dime position or the weak side linebacker position, and leave. Uh, Thomas as a single high safety, so an interesting you know reaction to what the Cardinals did, and obviously then the Ravens are trying to do a lot with their pass rush to scheme, and uh, you know get the pressure they need on Murray to make him make some bad decisions.
6: Yeah, I, I like the approach uh, of doing that because I prefer Jefferson coming down into the box. I think uh, when he's playing that split safety role, he's get can get exposed in coverage a little bit so it was it was a great approach and I, I I guess my question would be uh from your charting did they go away from that in the second half
5: you know here's one of the things I'm recording the players on the field and I record in note form what's going on so early in the game we're noticing this is like Jefferson's up in the as at the weak side yeah. linebacker spot but later in the game it's quite possible they didn't stay with that they never went to a they went to a different Fourth corner because it was Jones at the beginning of the game and then a quick opportunity by Kennedy, then back to Jones. And then all of a sudden, Jones had a bad play where he did not turn on a football and he was not seen again the rest of the game then after the second to last drive of the first half. And then the remainder of the game was all Kennedy in terms of that fourth corner.
6: Yeah, wow. the reason I ask is because uh, it, it seemed from first glance that they, they, they brought Jefferson back into the split safety role, and that's when he started to get exposed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the 54-yarder to Larry Fitzgerald where um, they they had a cover two on the back end, and Jefferson went to double on the right. far side of the field. And on Thomas's f- guy. That's it. And so it's just like, uh, it's a play like that where, you know, I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall in the, in the film room to just like, what, what, what were you thinking? Like, uh, you got Larry Fitzgerald streaking right into you, the heart of your zone and you're going to double team. It's just, uh, and I think on that same play, we sent, uh, we sent car on a blitz off the edge as the, from the slot corner position. That's, so, that's right. yeah. So I, I do have the replay right in my head. So, uh, that was my big assumption was that we went away from that in the second half. And, uh, I I felt like we controlled them a little bit better in the first half than the second half, but I don't have the yardage broken down. Uh, But in terms of the big chunk yards, I think that's when it was getting us was a little bit more in the second half. Yeah,
5: they had had, uh, the 50 and the uh, 54 and the 40 were both in the second half. In the first half, they gave up a 26 on a crossing route behind the two inside linebackers. They gave up a 34. That was what was that? I believe that was over the top on Averett, where it might have been Thomas slow to come back to the to to converge. And they, that's those are really the big plays. They had another 24. I'm trying to remember that one. It's near the end of the first half, but that might have been a man coverage problem on that play.
6: Yeah, the other thing that I noticed was they avoided Earl Thomas. Like uh, Mm -hmm. They really weren't throwing the ball near him, and that's why a lot of people were saying, where's Earl Thomas? Well, it's it's a situation where back when we had Ed Reed, we'd have games where you just don't really see him, and that's not because he's not doing anything. It's because he's taken away half the field. So when you're trying to avoid Earl Thomas, but then you go into a split safety, cover too high, that means they're going to be aiming at the other safety, and that kind of led to Tony Jefferson... Getting exposed a little bit in coverage.
5: Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm just remembering this game, the long play, the 40 yard play. I believe it was. No, it might be the 54. The 50. I'm getting the 54 and the 40 confused in my mind because one of them, Jefferson was over the top on the wrong guy, came back and was 10 yards separated from Fitzgerald.
6: I'm 90% sure that's the 54-yarder.
5: Okay. So that, was, they gave up a bunch of yards after the play, and I would I would agree on that. But there's another one where Jefferson was shallow, trailed the receiver going back, I believe also Fitzgerald, and that might have been the 40-yard play where he got over the top. Maybe there should have been help. Maybe he was the only guy left on that side of the field. But whatever the case, the coverage didn't get made.
6: Yeah, no, that sounds right, actually. I think you have those bang on. OK, so
5: anyway, we're, we're there's five plays in there. And this is a, one of the hard things about charting. And one of the things you always hear from players about is you couldn't possibly know what the scheme is. And it's an analyst because you're just looking at this. And of course, anybody who's not on the team probably also can't. So we just are all in the same kind of difficult boat. I'll just say, you know, there's some general trends that occurred on those five plays. And why don't we talk about that now before we go into some other stuff that I didn't like. And and Jefferson was one of them. But the, but the main one, I think we've given him enough enough grief already, but the, the other one that is just a, a really significant problem for the Ravens right now is that neither of their inside linebackers are making any sort of contribution on a play behind them in the passing game. Both of them are good downhill players, all three of them for that matter. I'm not including Young in this because the, the real guys I'm talking about are Board and Owasu who were on the field for most of these big plays. Uh, in fact, I don't have any one of them that where Young was involved in the play. It's all Board and Owasu. So... You know, there's obviously an attempt to target these guys, to get behind these guys and to make them look bad, but uh, or take advantage of the weakness anyway, whether they want to make them look bad or not. And something's got to give on that. The, the Ravens either, uh, if they're going to face offenses like this, and Kansas City is the first one that they're going to really need to think about it, they need to think about, about having Jefferson in the box as a, as a weak side linebacker maybe, or maybe having Levine as a weak side linebacker. In a broader set of down and distance situations where he can impact the play. So the other possibility along these lines is to just bring t- Tony Jefferson up and use him in man coverage of Kelsey for the entire game. You could you could use another safety on the back end. By the way, I think we have a question coming about this in the mailbox because I, I I I saw it and I was like, you know, this is they they suggested bringing Levine up as a safety that you would you would cover the tight end. He can do it. But I think Jefferson, that's something he really came with a pedigree for, and you know you get another back, a safety on the back end, maybe you can get some additional tightness in the zone coverage, whether that's Clark or, or Elliott.
6: Yeah, this is reminding me of some of the thoughts I had leading up to the draft, and it was just around finding a more natural free safety, even though uh, we ended up adding Earl Thomas. But by doing that and having two kind of coverage split safeties, it allows you to bring Uh, Tony Jefferson up and so I know there's been a lot of trade talk around interest in Minka Fitzpatrick and just to give an example that that's something that you can do with Fitzpatrick is you can have Fitzpatrick and Earl Thomas you know deep in cover two, and then you can bring Jefferson up to do some of those things he did really well in Arizona and uh, I remember I had I had an engagement on Twitter with Jefferson, because uh, he got mad because I, I I said he was the player that needed to bounce back the most from the Ravens, and so that. he asked he asked me bounce back from what? So we if you read the exchange, uh, it was actually really interesting because he said, "I'm learning split safety. I've never played it mm-hmm. before," and so. I just I found that fascinating, and it's, it, it is interesting. A lot of people criticized the move when we did it because he just wasn't going to be used the same here, and he still hasn't been, so he's still learning a new position, and that's as a veteran in the NFL. But I think if we could find ways to bring him into the box and just put him in a position to succeed, but we don't have that other deep safety guy that can, can be beside Earl Thomas right now.
5: Well, they, they may, and they, they just they haven't figured it out yet whether Elliott is that guy. Elliott's certainly a hitter around the line of scrimmage, so he could do some of these things as well. But you know, Elliott's also a ball hawk, and I think in the preseason he showed the ability to roam the the level two and level three really to to, to be that uh, you know second level of coverage. The the thing. Now you use the term split safety, and I just want to make sure we're defining this the same way a split safety you're really talking about covering half the field and cover two so in a quarters or whatever you'd you'd have that and and a split safety is not a canadian football term is it because we call it the strong safety obviously you know who's it takes the other side of the field well
6: it well it is where i've played um Mm -hmm. and i a lot of a lot of canadian teams actually play single high because they have uh what we call halfbacks. So I know American football calls halfbacks the running back, but we call slot cornerbacks halfbacks. And so you'll get two outside corners, two halfbacks, so two slot corners, and then you usually have a single high safety in addition to three uh, inside linebackers and four defensive line as your kind of base formation. Okay. So a lot of the time, when we drop a guy back and take the linebacker out, which would be kind of like the Canadian dime, it's uh, it, it's that we call that the split safety. Okay. But 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 but, but it's essentially the same thing. It's what you're saying, uh, it, the strong safety role, but it's it's playing mostly cover two and splitting the field in half. So okay. same type of terminology.
5: Okay. Very good. Just want to make sure we get the we, we're we're talking the same language here. Sounds like we are.
4: <laughs> hey guys. Yeah, uh, we've got a lot of questions in the mailbag about Minka Fitzpatrick. Sure. But I wanted to interrupt before you guys go down that path to let you know that he was just traded.
5: Oh, no. So oh, was no just way.
4: That the Steelers gave up a first round pick in 2020 for Fitzpatrick.
5: Wow, that's huge. <laughs> for one thing, I know that trade doesn't make any sense to me with where the Steelers are right now. What? That makes – they just lost their quarterback. <laughs> and they're giving up a first round draft pick. In the next year, a year where they could be terrible. I mean, the, the Steelers yeah. literally could could win five games this year, and Fitzpatrick might help Mike help them win seven. And now they're gonna they're gonna move further down in the draft. This makes no sense.
4: Maybe they'll get both Fitzpatrick's in the deal.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, yeah. I'd be very bullish on that on the value of that number one pick if I were the Dolphins in terms of what I traded. I think I think there's a chance you could do better than the eleven. That you used on Fitzpatrick in 2018.
6: My God, are you unbelievable?
5: Unbelievable must,
6: for Miami. They must be higher on Mason Rudolph than uh, than a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. Who who actually looked good in his first game, but I mean, is he gonna really go out and win you ten games now?
5: There is so much wrong with that team besides not having Roethlisberger, which you could yeah. think they're going to be a little bit better. But I just, I don't think the Steelers are ready to compete on any level. They're not at wide receiver, not at, uh, you know, they've lost Connor now who is, he's their best back, but he's not that good a back. Uh, you know, I'm just, I, I'm, I would not be excited about their position. So it's interesting. I'm absolutely shocked that, the, that there was a one traded for him. I'm even more shocked that it's a one that's likely to be in the top half of the first round. So it's, uh, that is a, that is a king's ransom for Fitzpatrick.
6: Right after they traded up for Devin Bush. So that's all that's a lot of lot of investment going into an inside linebacker and a safety.
5: Right. Wait, what did they trade? What did they trade to move up on Bush? I thought that was more substantial than just a one this year and a two two next year kind of thing. But maybe yeah. that's all it was.
6: I think it was, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. All right. what, yeah.
5: All right. We can look it up. Hey, Josh, look that up for us. Is what do they trade to move up to number 10 to take Devin Bush this year? I'll take a look and find that. Okay. All right. Let me make sure we're in the, in the right spot now. How are we doing? Okay. So we talked a little bit about responding to the 10 personnel. You know, one thing, one bad side effect of this is the Ravens had to release Greg Sinat to make room on the roster. Now, to me, there's other guys on the roster you can you can let go and Trowick would would have been the guy or maybe Bethel that I would have said take a chance let him go re-sign him hopefully uh, you know have a sweethearty kind of deal with him Trowick was already I believe a vested veteran no maybe not because they, they they were, they they set they put they set him up for an IR move they, they, where they released him from the roster then they brought him back but it was before game one so I believe he's actually still gets his salary for the full, full season. Okay. So, so that's uh, maybe there wasn't an opportunity to release him and, and be safe. And Troak is a kind of guy that some, a team like the chiefs or the, or the Browns, maybe who are playing the Ravens the next couple of weeks might want to get and get what Intel they could out of him uh, about the Ravens special teams. But Greg Sonat was a prospect and a pretty damn good size and shape prospect for playing left tackle who had looked not terrible, in the preseason. He had some holding penalties, didn't look great, but he also there were full, there were enough flashes for me to be excited about him as a left tackle prospect.
6: Yeah, well, uh I I was pumped that they were keeping him on the active roster and not or yeah, the active roster and not uh, uh or sorry, on the practice squad and not exposing him through or not putting him through injured reserve because I wanted him on the field to develop. I didn't think he'd do much just kind of sitting and watching from home. Uh, If the Phantom IR was the approach, but I I think it was a huge mistake. And that's because we don't really have a backup left tackle on the team. And I, I know the team is going to put James Hurst out there, but I, the, I disagree more than words can explain how much, James Hurst is not a left tackle in the NFL. He can play right tackle and spin side, but we, we don't really have a backup left tackle on the roster unless they're going to move Orlando Brown over. So I think Even it was that. a huge mistake. And, uh, yeah, and we, it was funny. We were just talking about Michael Orr on Twitter earlier and you know how I really think he should have been just left at right tackle, and I made the comparison to Brown. I think he can be a great right tackle, but you got to leave him there. So uh, not enough people are talking about losing Greg Sonat. I think he was a great guy that could develop, and I think he just had to get used to his size in the NFL. Uh, but I agree, showed a ton of flashes, and I, I think it was a big loss.
5: Okay, very. it's obviously something they can't recover from. The Chiefs have got him now, and uh, bad news. Anyway, I, I assume he will not play. He'll be on the active roster, but he won't be active probably for the game on Sunday. But no doubt, if there's some, a few special team secrets, I'm not sure what he might know. Uh, you know, They'll be trying to pump him for information in the meantime. Uh, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the other things that worked for the Ravens in this game. Obviously, the 3-for-12 on third and fourth down w- was a positive. Snuffing out the running game now, though, two weeks in a row. I mean, We talked a little bit about this earlier, but they've only allowed 41 rushing yards in two games. I think part of this was the Cardinals decision not to do this, but the Ravens never played a heavy box in this game, never more than six in the box the entire game. every single snap was either nickel or dime uh so and and to start the game, as I mentioned, they had Tony Jefferson as the sixth defender inside the box so they're 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 really you know they're 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 playing effectively dime defense. Uh, for for the bulk of snaps in this game, they did have they did have board and and young in for some of those, but uh, but pretty pretty damn effective. That even with that alignment, you totally shut down one, uh, ten personnel and you shut down Murray in terms of his ability to get away from the pocket.
6: I I think it shows the value of the combination of B will and Mike Pierce when they're when they're in the game together. They they really do control up front and on a couple of those runs where they did try and get the rock going early, there was just nowhere for them to go. Uh, I mean, DJ is a phenomenal talent, but you can't run where there's no space. Um, A lot of people get hard on B will. And uh, on the, on the touchdown run in by DJ, uh, Brandon Williams got washed out with a double team, but I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of guys get washed out with double teams, right? So you can't take it, it. It's the, the things that Pierce and Williams do, away from the play, indirect plays that they make that I think go unnoticed. And I think they're going to be huge as we see. um, We've talked a lot about how the 3-4 base formation is basically disappearing from the team. And now they're Mm -hmm. playing like the nickel is basically their base. And, uh, you know, they play a ton of dime, but their ability to control the line of scrimmage in that lighter formation without the, the extra linebacker is going to be crucial for them to, uh, to stop the run. So I think those two add a lot in terms of the new alignment they're using on defense.
5: Yeah, it, it really begs the question of what to do with Pierce after this year, whether they are comfortable with Mac being a one-for-one replacement at a lower price. Or whether they have to uh, think about what other options there are, whether that means signing Pierce or drafting in in a higher round another inside three or one tech that they will be comfortable with for years to come. Because you know the decision will be become harder each year, starting in about twenty after twenty twenty, I believe, on what to do with Brandon Williams. You know, he's been a solid player, but it's a real question of value relative to cap that will start coming up.
6: Yeah, and I, I think it's – I don't know if it's next year or the year after where you see some real savings, but, you know, I speculated a lot that the mess, best move might be to cut Brandon Williams and use his savings towards, you know, the Mike the Mike Pierce piggy bank and then uh, go with Mack and Pierce. But that was because I had always thought that we'd see more of a pass rush game out of Mike Pierce, but he isn't really used that way uh, in his first preseason. I remember one of the first articles I ever wrote for Russell Street Report was uh, – was preseason when he was a UDFA. And I remember looking down, he was wearing number seventy-eight in his first game. And I kept looking down at the game sheet going, or at the roster, going, who's the seventy-eight? Michael Pierce? And then, you know, Googling him to find out more. And it was it was actually his ability to push the pocket in that preseason that made him stand out to me. So I mean, we'll we'll talk about this in the off season, I'm sure, a ton, but I, I think we're gonna have to really consider because Dalen Mack has a ton of potential and they definitely drafted him in this role and I think that's how Wink sees this playing out. He's like we can have these two defensive tackles that are basically going to be what stops the run. Like and obviously the inside linebackers are going to come down down hill mm-hmm. and make plays, but they they're responsible for controlling the line of scrimmage and controlling the interior to stop the run.
5: Yeah. I, I I'm I'm we we can leave it for another time whether it Mack is a decent enough one-for-one replacement for Williams I think Mac would be a decent enough one-for-one re- replacement for Pierce in terms of what the two do I'm not saying he'd be 100% of the player he might be 80% of the player 20% of the price but he but he he's less of a physical resemblance for what B-Will is in terms of his ability to play multiple positions along that line which I think is one of the things we really get from Brandon Williams and, and probably don't value as much as we should.
6: Yeah, he's got to be, he's kind of become the new CJ, well, sorry, he was, this has been happening for a couple of years, but it, again, it's the things he does indirectly that go unnoticed by a lot of fans, and I said the same thing about CJ Mosley uh, before we were talking about his contract, and you know, I, I thought he got overpaid for what he does, but it's a similar situation in the sense that they make plays that we do not see. And it's those indirect plays that can have a big impact on the game. And I think that's exactly what we saw with shutting down the run this week. Yeah. A
5: big, big game out of Pierce in particular in this game. And what I liked about it was we saw a lot of hustle plays from him. He only had 22 snaps in the game, which is nice. But the guy, he hustles into level two if that's where the tackle needs to be made. In fact, if I were a receiver catching a short pass over the middle – my first fear would be, when am I going to get hit by Michael Pierce? It's kind of like my internal clock needs to be working like a quarterback to not get sacked beyond the line of scrimmage
6: by, by Michael Pierce. Well, they chased down a, a screen on the 13-20 in the first quarter, which was just great to see. That's, that's the one. So uh,
5: that, was, that was the one where he, he just ignored the presence of the right guard, Sweezy, on that play, just pushed right by him and, and tackled Dave Johnson, or, uh, yeah David Johnson for, for new gain. Uh, that was that was a little unusual, yeah. He 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 really had Aq Shipley. I know we, we should not be too surprised that he kind of manhandled Shipley in this game, but the first time he he pushed him right down, but the ball was out quickly on a pass play. And then on the on the uh, goal line snap, Pierce had great penetration on that. The one where where David Johnson scored, Williams got got pushed out of the way by the double team. But the other guy who kind of lost his way on that play was Tim Williams, who didn't contain the edge there. And he would have been the guy who could have made the tackle. I'm not saying it would have been easy, but he would have been the guy who could have, who could have uh, you know, moved to make that tackle.
6: Yeah, I, I just read your article and uh, or read your article earlier today, and definitely agree that Tim Williams took a big step back. Uh, I was disappointed to see the snap counts too, with uh, with Tyus Bowser trailing him so much, and with Tim Williams, I, they're getting to a point where they're going to have to consider having Jalen Ferguson active and Tim Williams deactivated to to get a new look because i mean he's just not putting it together consistently enough and uh pernell mcphee is playing so well at the joker role that uh, it's it's blocking ferg from getting active and really no by by no fault of his own i thought he had a great preseason and uh, I, I mean if tim williams isn't going to get it done uh they need to consider bringing in bringing in ferg.
5: I am not at that point yet. This was certainly a bad game and a step back for Williams. But Williams had five pressures in the first game as I scored it. And he also had a big preseason himself. He arguably was the best Raven defensively. Even, I would put him even ahead of Ricard, despite the fact that Ricard did some amazing things. Uh, but Williams was the one consistent pressure deliverer during that preseason.
6: What are, what are your thoughts between Williams and Tyus Bowser in well, terms of the rush linebacker role? Opposite Judon okay. and
5: Sam. Okay, let's start with this. First of all, you, you you gain a big advantage because Bowser is a Sam linebacker. and so But that would limit Bowser's total snaps to one minus the percentage of snaps that Judon can play. So let's say Judon can play 75% of the snaps. Well, then Bowser can only play 25% of the snaps, and that's not enough. It's not enough for several reasons. So what the Ravens had already worked with was having both on the field at once. And when you do that, you get the bonus— that you can you have two-way coverage options with, with that player. And that doesn't necessarily mean just covering the tight end on that side. It can mean covering the slot receiver while the slot guy rushes the quarterback, which are the kind of things that Martin Deal loves to play with that game. Or you get a free run with Levine, or you do other things to, to try and overload a different area and get that free run you need to get the other team off the field. So I do love the Bowser and Judon combination. Uh, but but anyway, I, I, I don't think of him as a pure rush linebacker in that sense. It's certainly it, it's the value you get out of him is is it coverage? And regardless of what you think of Bowser, I think you'd still have to admit that it's mostly the flexibility he gives the Ravens, which is good. He gives the Ravens a little bit of pass rush, but I don't think there's any world in which Tim Williams isn't the better pass rusher of the, of the two
6: yeah i I think Bowser has developed a bit, like just to take a coach note one of the things I've noticed from Bowser that he's developed is when he's trying to do that that dip move underneath the uh the the outside shoulder of the tackle he gets his hands on the guy and then dips and one thing I've noticed with Tim Williams and it worked for him a lot in his first preseason where he would just dip under the punch of the offensive tackle but a lot of these guys that are starting caliber offensive tackles, like it's just not going to work. They're so good with their punch. Like a guy like Ronnie Stanley, who we see a ton of, uh, he hits his punch like at an elite level. So what I'm noticing from Bowser is he's getting that leverage, getting underneath the chest plate of the offensive tackle and kind of popping them before, Doing the dip and I think it's giving him a lot more success and we've seen I can think of three off the top of my head in two games where you know he's gotten around the edge and one of them resulted in in the hold last week against Miami Mm -hmm. so I think I've just been a little disappointed with Tim Williams in terms of the suite of pass rushing moves that we'd see from him at this point and a lot of it I wonder is if he's just you know at Miami he was a he was a pass rush specialist wasn't asked to do a lot but the rush linebacker is an everyday down position and even though its primary goal is to rush the quarterback you know is he thinking too much about about the run game and we all know he struggled in the run so maybe that's weighing in on his on his mind right like do he's a split second slower because he's trying to make the read if it's a run or a pass? So, just something I'm wondering in terms of what might be slowing him down because he was so explosive and he, we've seen it from him before, but on obvious passing downs, I think we've seen it not in kind of first and ten situations. Right. He, he the Ravens
5: have you know three guys who can play the rush linebacker and two of them can play inside as well. I don't think they'll ask Tim Williams to do that. But I think Ferguson is perfectly capable of, of providing some real value from the inside, and we know McPhee is. Uh, so so they've, got, they've got a lot of options in terms of how they— it's a complementary set of five guys they have that can play outside linebacker, that they have enough surplus to get the Sam taken care of, enough surplus to get the Rush taken care of, and options at Joker after that are for an inside pass rusher that they line up. So it's, it's a very nice set of five guys. Williams had, had the good first week with five pressures. He got shut out in week two, and Bowser I have for three pressures this week. So that's just my scoring of it, so it doesn't necessarily match anybody else's. But, uh, but I, you know, I, this is this is an up week for Bowser, a down week for Williams. I don't want them to give up on Williams like they did last year. And unfortunately, Williams appeared to be the 12th man on the field for one play this week, which is another bad thing. forgot to mention that in my article, but that was a, a certainly another bad thing that uh, – Will not go well with Harbaugh. Judon also was the twelfth man on a on a special teams play. It appeared.
6: Yeah, and I can I can respect that with uh, with wanting more time for Tim Williams. I mean, he is a third round pick. We we invested in him. Um, I'm trying not to be too knee jerky. I, I think I'm just really excited about Jalen Ferguson's protection or uh, his potential, and I just I want to see him get on the field. But uh, I, I acknowledge that. The signing of Pernell McPhee kind of was the roadblock for him not so much Williams
5: well let's talk about McPhee a little bit because he has found the freaking fountain of youth that's all I can say give you a few numbers from this game so 35 snaps are the most he has had in 21 team games so you have to go back to week 12 of 2017 so five games after that 16 last year is 21 actually it's 22 games I guess. Uh, that, that there have not been as many, he has not had that many snaps in a game. He has 1.5 sacks this year. He had had a 25 game streak with no sacks dating back to week seven of 2017. Uh, you know, I loved the way he was able to beat the double team for that half sack that he shared with Ricard. I mean, he, he split a double team between the left guard and the center. There it was, uh, right out of 2014 in terms of what we've seen from Pranel McPhee, when he drove that Ravens pass rush to 56 sacks.
6: Yeah, I think at this at this point in his career, moving him inside is the best for him. And I think we're seeing that. I went back and watched a lot of the Redskins games after we signed him just to see what he was doing. And what I noticed from him was just what a savvy player he is. And he, again, I, I, I talk about this so much, but he makes plays indirectly. And I, I, I think it just goes... If you're a casual fan and you're not really paying attention or doing a rewatch, you, you won't notice it as much. But you know, he's the kind of guy that will will jam his own man and, you know, take a loss on on the snap in terms of not making the play. But by jamming his man and taking that guy out of the play, it opens up a linebacker to just have a free shot at the running back with, with no extra blocker there. So those are the types of plays that I, that I saw when he was at Washington, but it's his pass rush from the inside this year. That's really standing out. Like he had a phenomenal game last year, last week. And, uh, he, but he, follows it up with another great game and uh you know I originally was like ah McPhee's gonna block Ferg I think Ferg could play inside but McPhee's shut me up quickly and uh <laughs> I'm not gonna criticize him anymore as long as he keeps making plays I want to see him out there and I, I I completely agree it's it's really filled the the gap left by Zadarius Smith leaving from you know the rush guy that can move inside on uh, on passing downs and get an extra outside linebacker on the field mm-hmm.
5: it's it's a He's he's split his snaps approximately evenly through the first two weeks between inside and outside. So he's, you know, obviously he's in on the inside when they have three on the field and he's not when they, when they have only two on the field, I've been impressed with two, two things. And then I'll, I'll let this go. The first was going all the way across the formation to make that tackle for minus one on a run play. You just don't see that so often in a guy, his age to be able to, to make that play, you know, with his history of, of, of problems or whatever. And, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be that thrilled that he makes one play like that. But the fact of the matter is he made a lot of plays. And that was just like one symptom of this rejuvenation we're seeing. And I'm just I'm so happy for him and so happy for the Ravens that they they uh, they got a guy at this point in his career. In terms of what McPhee brings from the inside, you mentioned some of this that that in terms of being a complimentary pass rusher. He's a terrific under guy for any sort of stunting because he gets shoulders turned and he's. He's immediately with that thunderous first step moving into the seam of the double team where he's going to get two sets of shoulders turned, both at a disadvantage. When you stunt around that guy, either direction you have, you have a good chance to get two disadvantaged blockers immediately at play the underneath guy, because each guy has half a block and one of them has got to leave. You know, he's right in the seam. He's got that thunderous first step he has a great chance to create pressure and, 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 even better pass rush events under those circumstances. The Ravens have had some great underneath guys. Uh, Trevor Price, Pernell McPhee, Tim Jernigan all fell into this, this category, but uh, McPhee 2014 might've been the best. And seeing some of that again from McPhee 2019 is just, it's a pleasure to watch.
6: Yeah. I think, uh, I think the other thing we need to consider too, is he kind of has the vet respect from some of these, uh, some of these offensive linemen. Like he he's proven his worth in terms of what he can do. And I think that plays a big role in terms of how offensive linemen prepare for him. And what I'm referring to is sometimes you'll get kind of an aging player who's gone through some injury trouble and he becomes less of a threat to you. But I think McPhee's McPhee's earned so much respect that he still gets that attention. And I think that's what, you know, he's always going to be a focal point when he's on the field from the offensive line. And a lot of that is some of these savvy plays that I'm referring to because, you know, fans may not notice their impact, but you better believe those offensive linemen notice them. Right. You're right.
5: All right. Let's move on. I, one guy I wanted to make sure we talk about it. We've got a several on my list here. We may not get to all of them, but one of my, I want to make sure we get to is Brandon Carr, who I thought had one of the best games he's ever had as a Raven. I didn't have a pick in this game, did allow one long uh, pass. So that was unfortunate, but he did. He did also pick up a sack and he, had a very, very tough assignment, namely Larry Fitzgerald, who was in the slot pretty much the entire game. And he, you mentioned before, on the 54-yard play, I believe it was, he actually rushed off the slot left as Fitzgerald worked his way all the way across the field. Uh, so he was he was absolved by his pass rush from, from being in any sort of coverage responsibility, of course, on that play. But they threw at least three fades into the end zone, where he was right in Fitzgerald's hip pocket. There was no chance for a uh, for a completion on any of those, and they all fell incomplete. Uh, just He had also one PD diving on a slant play that I believe he was in coverage of Fitzgerald, although that might have been Kirk. And, uh, you know, just a terrific game. Led the team in tackles as well.
6: And just continuing the, the the theme of savvy vet plays, and that's what we've seen from him in the red zone. He's become one of the best coverage cornerbacks in the red zone, and it's his ability, even though he's kind of lost a step athletically, he still knows enough about his body position to uh, read the guy and get in a position to make a play. And we saw that with Fitz. So he was just, as soon as Fitz made his cut, he got into the right body position and had his head around to the ball, which I think, you know, maybe he could spend some time with Anthony Averett this week about getting our head around to the ball. Um, But he, he did a phenomenal job. He was taking a lot of heat because of the, he had the one play where he had to track the ball to the sideline. And it was kind of like the Murray threw it, you know, 40 yards in the air and Mm -hmm. uh, he, he just lost it. And so, I mean, it was a tough play to make. And, uh, they kind of burnt us a few times on, on post routes from the slot and attacking the sideline. But uh, overall, I thought I, I agree. I thought Carr had a great game. And we also have to consider he's not really like a traditional slot cornerback. And he's no. given a lot of responsibility to fill that role because of the Tavon Young injury. So, you know, not only is he playing well, but he's playing in a position to do it. And as, you know, an older veteran player. So, you know, kudos to the guy. He's He's always been a solid savvy vet and uh, he continues to prove his worth.
5: Yeah. They had a four to make three rotation last year that included Tavon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith and, and Carr. and Carr did play some slot last year in that rotation when Tavon was off the field. But basically I would have bet a lot of money is the wrong term, but I would have not expected him to work out in the slot even as well as he did in this game. Uh, You know, he's, he's, in some certain, in some ways, being matched up against Fitzgerald is not a bad matchup for Carr because he's a big physical corner and and he can deal with some of what Fitzgerald is going to throw at him. and Fitzgerald doesn't have the speed he once did, so he can he can play very good positional football, particularly in the end zone. He can play good positional f- football. It's harder for him, I guess, on the on the remainder of the field to do so. But you know what he's accomplished um, in the slot is is really exceptional and he's in the third year now of a four-year contract which is essentially a series of one-year options for the Ravens at six million each year that contract is really now looking like one of the best Ozzie Newsom free agent contracts there ever was and that 2020 option as of this moment as of today when he just shut down Fitzgerald uh you know played so well against the Cardinals that 2020 option has value I, I every year we've written him off for the next year but but he's at that, that option has value right now
6: and we're not even talking about his durability right now like the the guy doesn't miss games and sometimes the best ability is availability there you go
5: <laughs> all right so uh we could we talk about one more guy if if you want to is Humphrey who I thought did some really exceptional things in this game and there is some question on who was responsible on some of these zone coverages And I didn't give him responsibility for the 54-yard play. He was up shallow on clay for the play. And it seemed like a waste of his talents, but also his assignment on the play. And then that 54-yard play, you know, it it just did not make sense to me that it should have been him. But anyway, I thought otherwise, if you look at the other plays that Humphrey made, he had a terrific juggernaut-like move to run through the head and shoulders of the right tackle, Justin Murray, Justin Murray. Yes. And then run over Clement, the running back, to knock Murray or to force Murray out of bounds for a loss of three on that stretch right. That was early on. Then the other play was by the goal line, and I think this was a third down play. Uh, He knocked a potential receiver on his butt. It might have been Clement again because it was somebody in the backfield where he hit him in the backfield, knocked him way wide, and then he just continued to go after Murray to the right sideline, eventually forcing him to throw that ball away. Those are two plays incredible physicality from a corner that you know I even I even say with Humphrey I want him to take less chances physically but those plays it's hard to disagree with they were so good
6: yeah well I mean he uh he's really he's I I, I credit a lot of it from learning from Jimmy Smith he's doing a lot of things that Smith does really well and getting up in guys grills. And I, one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is his tackling ability. Like Mm -hmm. he is a tackling machine, sure tackler. And, uh, in terms of pass coverage from Humphrey, like again, similar to Earl Thomas, they avoided him on the, on the field. Like he didn't have a whole lot of, a lot of work down the field. He, He came up a little bit on some of the short dinks and dunks that you're referring to, to, to make plays. And that's great. But, uh, I think, uh, I think he just continues to get. He's he's keeps taking steps, and he's really proven that you know he's a first round corner, and he's going to become. He's got top ten, top five potential.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say he's in the top five right now, but it is that's a crowded group when you get down to it and you really measure it out. Any case, any case that's uh, it's uh, great. We all agree. Humphrey probably gets a top of the position kind of contract from the Ravens, maybe as soon as after his fourth year and before his fifth. But I think the people who will be saying sign Humphrey this offseason after his third year probably aren't going to get their way because he still has two years of optionality for the Ravens. So I think the contract will likely come after his fourth year.
6: Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I I remember Jason Lackenfor was tweeting about how they should be signing him. The off season has just passed, but I don't think he realized that you can't sign yeah, until after yeah. your third year. Uh, nice thought, but impossible. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's a franchise player. I expect him in a Ravens uniform for the rest of his career as, if we can, as long as he stays healthy. But uh, kid's a stud. Absolute stud.
5: All right. So, exciting game. The Ravens got through it. Josh, what do you have for us in the mailbag? Anything left? Uh,
4: yeah, we got some stuff in here. Mostly looking forward. But uh, before we get to the mailbag... The Steelers, with the when they traded up to the tenth slot with the Broncos for Bush, they gave up their 2019 first and second round picks, which ended up being the 20th and the 52nd overall, and then a 2020 third round pick.
5: Wow! So they already they they are not left with a lot of draft capital. They have a second round pick. I don't know if they traded for anybody else's pick in the 2020 draft. Then they might have some cop picks or something. Who knows? But uh, right, right, As of now, they they don't have
4: any first rounds, at least. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get. Uh, let's look a l- little bit with the mailbag. And the mailbag is your chance to steer the show. You can co- make a comment over on FilmStudyRavens.com on the articles or the podcast links, or you can use the hashtag #FilmStudyRavens on Twitter or Film Study Mailbag on Twitter to get your questions in there. A lot of questions, like I mentioned earlier, about Fitzpatrick and if the Orioles need, if the Ravens need to trade uh, in order to fill this need. And instead of that, let's talk about Jalen Ramsey, who was also coming in with the film study mailbag. And if he is a guy the Ravens need to consider I'm, while they're still waiting on Jimmy Smith.
5: You know, in, in a way, Ramsey should carry a lower price tag than Minka. Now, I was thinking if if the price is a, a mid to low two, that I'd prefer to have Minka than Jalen, all things equal. Jalen is a better cornerback right now, but he has only a, one year of cheap control, relatively cheap control. It's a first-round draft pick originally. And then one year of more expensive control with the fifth-year option, whereas Minka has three years of cheap control plus one option year. And, and that's a lot more time you get out of that player, even if he's not exactly – as good a player so I, I have heard already that the Jacksonville is asking for more than one number one in ex, in exchange for him that sounds absurd to me in terms of a, of a request but hey who knows there might be a team out there willing to pay it
6: well contractually I mean you you covered it it uh, it lowers his value when you're trading for a guy and then you have to sign him to a, mm-hmm. a large deal um, but the other thing is he's he, he tried to fight his coach on Sunday. Like he got into Doug Marone's face. He, the guy has a terrible attitude. Um, he's, he's great when he's talking trash and they're winning games, but uh, we are doing a really good job of reinventing the Ravens identity with the youth movement. I have zero interest in taking a risk on Jalen Ramsey, screwing that up just because of his attitude. Like there's no denying that Humphrey and Ram- Ramsey gives us two top 10 corners that, that can lock guys down, but I don't think it's worth it. So, no, and that's not even considering the contract. I just, I, t- I don't like to take risks when it comes to guys that can come in and disrupt something that we're doing, and we don't have guys like Ray Lewis around to to kind of keep these young, you know, egos under control.
5: Okay, so let me frame this up, because there's the old thing about, uh, well, anyway, you, you'd take him for free. If he was, if he was available on the street, you'd still sign him, and you'd put him at outside corner for the Ravens. And you wouldn't trade a first-round draft pick. I'm getting that from your language, and I wouldn't either. Okay, yep. what's the appropriate price tag on Jalen Ramsey that makes you say, "Yeah, I can live with that risk at that price"?
6: Given the contract situation, I so you think get two years out of him. I'm trying to keep it real. Won. I'm trying one to keep it realistic. I, I I would do it, I would do a second, and I said the same thing with Fitzpatrick. So even though I would pro, just because. I'm trying to be realistic in terms of what the Jags would accept. In terms of what I value them at, it's more at the third rounder. But in terms of what I think is realistic, a second rounder, and I would be okay with it. But I would prefer a third.
5: Okay. All right. So, you know, a third and a fifth, there'd be a possibility for that. Maybe even a third and a fourth, depending on where you feel the Ravens would draft, might have a value that's fairly equivalent to the top of the third round. So, uh, you know, the Ravens have a lot of draft capital, and they have compensatory picks they're they're expected to get. So, um, I I wouldn't have a problem with an offer like that. I, I think the Jags would, and part of what the Jags are looking at is that that uh, he has significant special sauce value themselves. So their fan base would say, if you trade him for a third, then that means you don't think you're going to get a third as a compensatory draft pick a year from now. And of course they will. Of course he'll 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 sign a big contract somewhere, be worth the, you know get kick them back a third round pick. It won't be until I think 20, so 2022 or 2023 that they would get that pick, one of the two, because this is a one-year deferral and he's also got one more year left. So That's right. Uh, yeah. So he'd play 2020. I guess it'd be 2022. Um, right. So anyway, that's, that's a long way to wait for that third round pick when you could have it today. But on the other hand, it, you know it's uh, you get Jalen Ramsey in the in the meantime, and hopefully he gets his head together and he and he starts playing well. I think the fact that the Jags are 0 2 mean he's more of a distressed property because you get more acting up on bad teams than you do on good ones. This and is true. What, yeah, that's why the Ravens are not a bad landing spot for him. The Patriots obviously are not a bad landing spot for him. Uh, you know he's he's going to be a better actor when he's in a place that that he knows he has a chance to win that's right all right uh daniel
4: is wondering how much do you think the lack of film on color murray and this unusual cardinals offense affected the uh ability of the defense on sunday
5: i i don't think that's what caused these zone breakdowns i think that was two things one is there's some lack of discipline on the on the things and harbaugh I, i mentioned that a little bit at the podium. So he was rarely one to point fingers directly, but he did mention the safety in the linebacker once each. And the other problem is just a systemic issue that the Ravens have a problem with both inside linebackers reacting to plays behind them in zone coverage. And I don't know how to make that better. I don't think with the personnel the Ravens have currently that's going to get better quickly.
6: Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I don't think it had a lot had a lot to do with the personnel. I think Wink put a lot of pressure on the DBs in zone coverage, and he did that through sending pressure continuously and relying on zone. Um, I mean, some of these DBs may not be used to that type of 10 look, but the reality is they just lost assignments, they lost communication. And, you know, we talked about this on Twitter earlier. I do think that part is fixable rather than a bunch of one-on-ones being, being the, the cause for for uh, for us losing reps. And I actually have to cut uh, cut out Ken, so I'm sorry. I'm going to have to leave you with the rest of the mailbag, but I gotta gotta attend to the, the little one.
5: Understood. You have a good one. Thanks for joining us.
6: Thanks Much a lot, appreciate.
5: fellas. We'll give you your plug information at the end. Thanks. All right,
4: Ken. So let's go. Uh, let's just finish out the mailbag and. Um,
5: I want to make one point about. Yeah. That go ahead. Just re- related to what Cole just said. They did use some some 6 and 7 man pass rushes in this game. 7 of them in total where they only got 13 yards. So less than 2 yards per pass play with a 7 with the 6 and 7 man pass rush. Where they got let down was on a 5 man pass rush. They had they had 15 of those and they gave up 10.6 yards per play. So that was uh that was where a lot of the damage was done. All I'm right. Sorry. Go ahead, Josh. All
4: right. Well, um I wanted to go with uh, follow up since we were talking about Wink and his scheme coming in. Into this, I wanted to follow up with Dustin's question, who was wondering how should they approach the Chiefs offense as far as the game plan?
5: Right. I think I think there's a lot of similarities. The Chiefs big strength, though, is a difference is that tight end is Travis Kelsey. So there's the opportunity to uh, figure out how you want to man up him and then play your rest of the defense around that, kind of like the box and one in basketball, if you want to think of this. It allows you to play maybe zone or man if you can figure out if there's a man coverage option on that. I don't know if Carr would be the guy. Probably not. I think really it's Jefferson or maybe Elliott who would have the physicality to deal with Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage, get him, get him jammed, and then redirected, and then also stay with him speed-wise so that he could, uh, and length-wise, maybe in Elliott's case more so, uh, to, uh, to to make plays. So I, I like either of those, and, and of course, Jefferson was a great tight end cover in, in Arizona, so I'd I probably like him to get the first shot at that. Gotcha. All right, uh,
4: final question. Jalen wants to put you down on the sideline. If you were the defensive coordinator, would you have given more playing time to Daylon Mack or Ferguson early on?
5: OK, well, some of this is a, is a function of weather, but in the Miami game, I thought the more obvious need was for the extra defensive linemen uh, to suit up. Because if you get one injury and you're short of defensive linemen and the Dolphins suddenly decide they want to play power football, you probably you might have a problem. Of course, both of these first two defensive lines were just in absolute shambles. So the Ravens legitimately did not need day Mac in in game number two because they never played three defensive linemen, not even once the entire game. In the, in the first game at Miami, they still needed to rotate a lot. And if they'd had an injury, they could have gotten in trouble. But they made through it. And honestly, because they dominated snap count 73 to 47 in that game, it really never became an issue that Dalen Mack wasn't there. Ferguson has missed a big opportunity in each of these cases to get playing time against some very disadvantaged offensive lines. And it's kind of a shame that that they didn't get him, him in there for either of these. So my answer would be, we need Mack more in game one. We need Ferguson more in game two. Gotcha, and then
4: we'll we'll see you in game
5: three. Yeah. All right. Uh, we want to thank Cole Jackson
4: for joining us. You can see his writing over at Russell Street Report and check out his podcast, The Neutral Zone Infraction. Also at Cole Jackson RSR on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you're giving him a follow. All right, Ken. What is up
5: on FilmStudyRavens.com? I know you got a post up there today. Sure, got a post up there on the defense, a little more detail than we have here. So some, there's definitely some stuff to look at. And uh, and react to, leave your comments out there. Some people started commenting today on that, and we're appreciating that. We use it for the mailbag. We also just answer uh, comments there and uh, appreciate the discussion there. Uh, We're going to have an offensive article that will come out tomorrow based on the offensive line scoring we're working on tonight right now or just after the show is over. And uh, we'll have an offensive podcast we do tomorrow night. The guest tomorrow night for the offense is Tim Jenkins, who is a regular poster, Edgar, on – purple flock so a little bit of a different input a little bit of a different look but local fan very knowledgeable and looking forward to that one and uh next week uh, we're back with sarah ellison after the chiefs game yep
4: yep and of course we'll have the know your foe to prepare for the chiefs game later this week as well
5: there you do we ha- we have found our expert on that and uh i guess we're going to keep him a secret for now because i don't have his name right in front of me that's bad
4: well uh, uh well i did we'll notice- fight Yep, will fight is going to join us. Uh, that'll probably be out Thursday afternoon. And um, I know
5: he used to write for Barstool. I'm not sure where he's at right now. All right. Well, fair enough. Obviously, a, a, a long term chiefs expert. And he, he came very highly recommended from the rest of the chiefs community. And that's how I usually reach out and try and find somebody from another city who's who's very knowledgeable about the team. Gotcha. And I did notice over on
4: FilmStudyRavens.com, I did notice that you, can are very active responding to the comments and questions in there. And it's cool because you're not stuck on that 240 characters, so
5: you're given nice, long, detailed answers. Yeah, it's better than Twitter in that respect. Uh, you know, hopefully we can we can do some other things like we did with Reddit where we have an Ask Me Anything kind of session or we, we have some stream events and, and mm-hmm. do a little bit more with that kind We're of gonna thing. We're going to get so. a
4: message board or a chat or something up on the website eventually uh this is the year that it's building and growing as the season goes on so that'll continue to grow so all right ken we'll we will speak soon
0: Breaking up is hard to do. But when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three.
1: Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line.
3: At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just two eighty-eight dollars 88 Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working...